Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 584 with my guest Maggie Rowe. Uh, Very excited to talk to her. We met years and years ago, uh, and then I read some of her uh, latest book, and uh, very excited to have her on. Great writer. Uh, Really like the way she she thinks, and I love the stuff that we talk about in this interview. We talk about a lot of stuff, religion, uh, but uh, mostly envy, and we do the the first envy off uh, we've ever done on the on the podcast. It's weird that it's a it's a such a a common emotion, and yet I never really think to talk about uh, envy or jealousy. Um, maybe because I don't experience jealousy romantically, but I do experience jealousy professionally. Look at people and go, God, if I just oh, if only I had that many, you know, followers or listeners or you know, blah blah blah. Anyway, I just got back from urgent care. Uh, and that's not my, why my voice sounds weird. My voice sounds weird, I think, because I just uh, had a gigantic pizza in one sitting. I don't know. Maybe my voice is weird. From I had to take Benadryl uh, and steroids. I got stung by a bee two days ago, and my hand has swelled up like a fucking melon. But the nice thing is, is I'm taking it to the farmer's market on Sunday, and I think I'm going to get a couple dollars for it. But it's, uh, it's difficult to make a fist. And it's weird. It didn't swell up for the first day. And then like, I don't know, 30 hours after I got bit, all of a sudden, I was like, what the fuck is going on with my hand? So uh, yeah, I'm recording the podcast later than I normally do. I used to always record it on uh, Thursday nights after I got home from my support group. And, uh, and I, for some reason, I stopped doing that. And I started doing it during the day. And tonight, because I had to, I didn't get home till uh, late. Uh, it's night out now, and there's something so comforting about doing this podcast at night. I don't know why. I don't feel like I'm um, in a in a hurry. Uh, sometimes I get that feeling like uh, it's taken too long. Like there's somewhere else I'm I'm supposed to be. Uh, like I'm not doing it right. But for some reason, when I do it at night, it's like I don't hear that clock ticking, and it feels really good. And I wonder if you guys can can uh, have ever picked up on that when it when it changed for me doing it at night to doing it during the day. I don't know. That's I'm I've had enough talk about me at least for the next five seconds. 
Let's dive into some surveys before we get to that interview with uh, with Maggie. This is from the Ask Paul Anything uh, survey, and this is filled out by Sarah. And she writes, uh, Paul, I grew up watching TBS and remember you from dinner and a movie. By a complete fluke, I stumbled upon your podcast when I was looking for some relief for intrusive thoughts. I've struggled with depression and OCD for most of my life, and OCD has ramped up again for me recently. Uh I've been listening to other episodes of your podcast, and as others have said, I feel very safe and comfortable and comforted here listening to you and your guests. Well, that means a lot to me. I appreciate that. I know you're not a mental health professional, but you strike me as this accepting, loving, non-judgmental person that's rare these days. I've been haunted by something from my childhood for years, and I'm terrified that I will never get past this, but then I tell myself I don't deserve to. While the exact age range is fuzzy for me, I took I believe it took place sometime between 12 and 16. There were a handful of instances where I was very cruel to our family dog. Writing that makes me feel sick, but it's true. I can remember taking the anger I felt inside out on our lab when he misbehaved, uh, hitting and kicking him at an age where I knew what I was doing was wrong. And even though I can speculate as to the reasons why I did this, a sometimes physically abusive father slash emotionally abusive and emotionally absent parents and loneliness, it does very little to absolve me of the constant guilt and shame I feel. For years, I've contemplated suicide and feel that this would be just for the way I treated a helpless animal. Today, I have two dogs who I love more than anything and would never hurt them or let anything happen to them, but I still can't forgive my younger self. These memories make me feel so unlovable and like I've just been masking my true colors as this horrific monster. If people knew this about me, they would be horrified. Unlike an addict, I can't make amends or repair the harm I have caused. My childhood dog is long gone. Uh, I have gone to where he is buried and tried talking to him, but it just makes me feel worse. I've told therapists about this, and their support helped temporarily, but I always end back in the, end up back in this dark place. What can I do? I want to live a peaceful life, but maybe this is karma for what I have done. First of all, welcome to the Beating Yourself Up Club. Uh, it's nice to meet you. Um, you were a child growing up in a chaotic environment and you were hurting and you took it on the closest thing next to you and was it right to do no but you were a child and you don't do it anymore end of story forgive yourself you're a good person you're pouring that love into and i'm sure you loved on your dog too your old dog just keep pouring that love into your into the dogs you have and into the friends you have and and towards yourself that that's what's really missing is you forgiving yourself you know what the dog probably thought when that was happening ouch hey i wonder when i'm getting food next thank you for your question this is uh also from the ask paul anything survey and it's filled out by it's you in case you forgot when paul reads it thanks paul um and they ask, I heard on your podcast that when someone expresses that they are upset over something you said or did, you sometimes attribute their reaction to their own issues and triggers. Such a great question. How do you know when you're not avoiding their feelings or that you may have done something wrong towards them? I'm in no way saying that you're doing anything wrong. I was just wondering if you can tell the difference. I'm going through a thing with a friend of mine when I expressed something 
she did that upset me, and she often attributes people's negative reactions towards her behavior as them being triggered by their own issues. I'm trying to figure out a way to possibly communicate my frustration with her in a way that's constructive. Have you ever had to deal with this yourself? Have you found a way that doesn't result in the ending of a friendship? Great question. And there is no single answer to that because every situation is different. The chemistry of everybody's relationship with somebody else's is different but there are tools that i go to i i reflect on on if i find myself agitated or upset or the other person agitated or upset is i really go over what happened uh in my mind and with people that i trust people in my support group people that that mentor me in those uh with my therapist and and I really think about what it is that I'm that I'm going to say to that person, um, because everything, first of all, everything doesn't need to be solved immediately. Sometimes I'll say to somebody, uh, you know what, you give me a lot to think about. Uh, can I can I get back to you? Uh, but thank you for sharing that with me. And I'm sure there have been times when I when I said, oh, they're just filtering it through their own uh, you know issues, and they weren't. I'm sure there have been times of that. We're going to make mistakes in relationships with people. But for me, the important thing is is understanding that I'm not always wrong or I'm not always right. And what am I going to do when, when those situations arrive? And I found expressing myself in terms of my feelings rather than assessing what it is that that person is doing as right or wrong is what matters. And that allows them, that gives them the space if they choose to, to own up to their own actions and if they choose to, to take responsibility for themselves. Uh, but great question. I'm really, uh, I'm really glad you asked that. Um, speaking of therapy, uh, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, relationships take work. Yes, they do, especially the most important one you can have in your life, and that is your relationship with yourself. I mean, the the survey that I read about the woman who can't forgive herself for something that she did as a as a child. Um, this shit gets it gets ingrained so deep in us. And I don't know about you guys, but I need I need help. I need help, and I will need help probably for the rest of my life, and that's okay. It makes my life better. Um, it brings me closer to people, and in addition to my support groups, online therapy with BetterHelp is, is one of the ways that I help myself uh, mentally and emotional, uh, emotionally, and that to me is a, a great form of self-care. So BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and uh, Mental Illness Happy Hour listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash mental. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash mental. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what 
makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. And then finally, uh, this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Brown Blob. And uh, he suffers from anxiety and depression about his anxiety. He says, always feeling like a rock is getting ready to fall on me and hoping it will so I don't have to feel anxiety anymore. And a snapshot from his life. Depression. I never know what to say when people ask me what I did on my days off. Staying in bed for two days doesn't seem like the right way to answer that question. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. I'm a kinky person. I didn't want to be... I'm, I'm ashamed. A sexual being. Deeply ashamed. You are... I want to live fucking depressed. But how? I can't do this anymore. I will be uncomfortable, so you will be comfortable. Is life just a series of perpetual losses? You're not depressed. We're black. There is no real chance for intimacy. We don't do that. Without risking being hurt. Push it all down. You can't go around it. Ireland, like we don't do mental health talk. Through is the only path. No one is ever alone. There's somebody else out there. Don't forget experiencing the same thing as you. But the places you feel most broken now. You just gotta look for them. Will one day be your greatest strength. And when you find them, it's a great feeling. And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke, but that's how far I will go to get a laugh because I am empty inside. Ah, you're in the right place. I'm here with Maggie Rowe, who is a performer and author. Uh, you got a book out now called Easy Street, which is, uh, it's so good. I was telling Maggie before uh, we started recording uh, that... Your sense of character and your ability to not only describe other people in a way that paints such a vivid picture, but your ability to describe your inner life and your emotional battles and your negative self-talk is, it's so great. It's so great. Thanks. I, I, like love, I love the first line of the book, which which is, I am not a good person. <laughs> I'm like, I, you, you had me at that. You had me at that. And then you, um, you talk in the book about some of the struggles you've, you've had in the past. And I, and I want to uh, touch on each of them. But the first one I want to talk about is you talk about having pure OCD for those that don't know. Um, Talk about pure OCD and what that means in your particular 
brand of it. <laughs> yes, this is my very peculiar, particular brand. So Pure O or Pure OCD is the uh, internal obsessive part without the corresponding physical compulsions. So it's intrusive thoughts, basically, and which is different than perseverating or, you know, being plagued by worry. It at least the difference in my mind is that it involves a feedback mechanism wherein there's this thing operating, which is I don't want to think that and therefore I do. It's that little sticky wicket where um, I think pure O resides. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when did that first come onto your radar? What did that what did that look like? Well, it started with me when I uh, I grew up as an evangelical Christian and I was told the basic idea, you need to accept Jesus as your personal savior. And once you do, all your sins are forgiven. But the idea was, except for one, God can forgive everything except for the one which was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So of course, me, everyone else was like, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And the answer was, nobody knows, just don't do it. Uh, And so in my mind, um, you know, this this imp, this, you know, this uh, strange little mechanism took root, which was, I told myself, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, don't do that. So then I would start saying things that were vile about some member of the trinity uh and then outwardly saying them or uh, in, no internally in, internally like could you remember oh say, you know like i've not, even now i feel like a little bit but fuck jesus the whole you know mm-hmm. jesus is bullshit holy ghost you're the least favorite of the trinity everyone you're bullshit the whole thing is bullshit i hate you i hate god fuck you all fuck all the you know like whatever horrible and and to be clear, you weren't emotionally connecting with these thoughts. It's more like your brain was just taking a shit and you were witnessing it. Yeah, it was the idea that more than anything, I did not want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Like what that was my number. It's it's kind of similar to the don't think about pink elephants on the wall or white bears on the wall. It It's this. You know, or, you know, Eve, don't eat that. It's it's like this this thing where because you're not supposed to do it, it happens. It's also the idea that the prohibition implies the action. So as soon as I say, don't think about pink elephants, pink elephants is in that sentence. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I say, don't blaspheme, I blaspheme. And so sometimes it would just become so pure, <laughs> talk about pure, that I would just say blaspheme. I would just say it. Like, don't say it. And then I would do it. Like, don't do it. Do it. Um, And Catholicism also shames thoughts, which is one of the cruelest things you can do to a human being. Because as as somebody in my support group said one time, we can't control whether or not a bird lands on our head, but we can certainly try to not let it build a nest there. Yes. But with pure O, it's like you can't even stop it from building a nest. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real, and it seems like it would not be that troubling of a phenomenon. Like, it's like, well, so you're thinking words you don't want to think. But what was difficult for me was this sense of being internally under attack, um, under attack from within, uh, which is like, and just this horrible feeling of like, well, if I don't want this, 
why am I doing it? And then what is I? And the whole thing is is a very uncomfortable phenomenon. And did you share this with anybody? Yes, eventually. And how old were you when this started? I was super early. So that started maybe six or seven. Okay. Kind of as, as soon as I accepted Jesus as my personal savior, I was like, all of a sudden the world got very, very serious. Um, the stakes were enormous. And this is a, kind of an image that I remember of it. You know, it's it, it was an, it's something that happened, but it, it kind of serves as a token for me of like, oh, yeah. That's what it was, was I remember uh, me and my friends were spinning around on the lawn. It was like, get so dizzy that you fall down and then you giggle. Ha, ha, ha. And we were all doing that with our little skirts and blah, blah, blah. And I was having so much fun. And then I fell down once and I had this thought and I was like, why aren't I working out my salvation? Why aren't I? It's one of the phrases that we, you know, and and, and why aren't I? Why haven't I witnessed to these girls? Um, you know, it's just this heaviness that came on very, very suddenly. Anyway, um, I talked to my parents about it who were wonderful, um, but didn't, you know, it, it's a... Weren't psychologists. They weren't psychologists. And then they, in a great spirit, were like, I think you need to get baptized. I think you get need to get baptized before the normal age. So I got baptized before my friends. I think I was, I don't know, nine or something. And the idea was maybe if you had, it was a great idea, actually. Maybe if you have this external validation of your salvation in front of a group of people, a ritual, maybe that will ease your uh, internal strife. It didn't. It upped it. And the fact that it didn't relieve me felt like proof that there was a real problem. Uh, anyway, baptism. But as part of the baptism process, I talked to my pastor, who I really think was a decent fellow. But I remember the thing he said to me. <laughs> he meant it. It was a compliment. But it was like, gosh, I'm not worried about my self-esteem right now. He he said, well, those were mighty big questions for such a little girl. And it was like, yeah, what are the answers? Right. <laughs> you know, how do I stop? Yeah, good for me. You know, right. I'm a real thinker. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. I was going to say his name. Don't need to. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor. Um and then I did not see a psychologist about it until I was 19, and I admitted myself to a psychiatric facility, evangelical psychiatric facility. The irony of going to an evangelical psychiatric facility for relig religiosity yes. or wh whatever the word is for yes. your, your Scrupulosity brain. was what they... Scrupulosity. Diagnosed it as. Now, in retrospect, so here was the thing that showed that it was a problem right away. Their slogan was psychiatry where the Bible comes first. So right away, they're like, wow. we're putting something, we're putting doctrine ahead of your well-being. Drink your way Come to sobriety. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, but what I felt, and I think it was true, was if I had gone to a secular organization, I don't know that they would have helped me. They would have said, hell isn't real. It's a scare tactic from the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. Drop it. Move on. 
and I wouldn't have been able to. So this place did meet me at a place where I could be met. And to their credit, from the very beginning, because I went in for a fear fear of just overwhelming sense of Mm -hmm. going to hell. I was just terrified. Um, To their credit, at no point did any of them say, you should worry about your salvation. They absolutely said, this is a mental disorder. You have been forgiven. You did it. You said the prayer right. You're okay. You need to believe it. So They were well-meaning. They were well-meaning. And it was, I couldn't at that moment have gotten rid of the notion of hell. I couldn't do it. I needed this kind of halfway point of people going, yeah, it's real. And yeah, all you got to be worried about all of your friends. But you're okay. <laughs> um, so it was ultimately very helpful for me. And did that help relieve uh, the the Puro, at least temporarily? Well, here's how it helped. I had several problematic therapists, but I had one that I loved who told me this slogan. It was from Martin Luther, uh, who himself uh, had scrupulosity. Really? Yes. Yes. Terrified of going to hell. Terrified. Martin Luther did all kinds of things, self-mortification, you know, like crazy shit, like would only eat what was under his fingernails for a day. Like oh my God. crazy stuff. And it was all to prove to himself that, yeah, I think fear of hell started the Protestant uh, Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there. Uh, but yeah, but Martin Luther had this doctrine called the doctrine of Pecca Fortiter, which was the doctrine of the brave sin which was sin bravely in order to know the forgiveness of God. Really? That, isn't that a crazy... And wasn't that the name of your first book? Yes. Bra- yes. Brave Sin? Yeah, Sin yeah. Bravely. Sin Bravely. Yeah. And what he told me, this therapist, this rather radical therapist, is he said, what God wants more than anything for you right now, Maggie, is to believe that you are forgiven. Therefore, the thing that's getting in your way is all of these prohibitions. So he was like, screw it. Do whatever you want to do. Do all the sins that you want to sin. And when you do that, you're helping your relationship with God. So I I did it. <laughs> and what did that look like? Um, if you're comfortable talking he, about it. It looked uh, – well, one thing that I can comfortably talk about because it was in uh, Sin Bravely uh, – Went to an amateur contest at a strip club. Uh, and how old were you at this point? I was 19. Yeah. Uh, and, but that was the first in a series of brave sins. Mm-hmm. And it was like I, I had played a stripper in a play in college. And I was like, this was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that came under the category of something that – I felt like I wanted to do, but I wouldn't because of a prohibition. And so I said, okay, all right. As part of my Christian path, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. Um, so it's a long process, but that did help me. And it also helped the looping thoughts. Yeah, that must have been incredibly freeing. Yeah. Giving yourself permission yeah. to embrace the forbidden. Yeah, yeah. Even just like swearing. I didn't swear. I mean, I didn't say gosh. They told us that 
at Sunday school, they told us gosh was just a, you know, it was just a hair's breadth away of ta- from taking the Lord's name in vain. So holy fuck was off the table. <laughs> yeah. But then all of a sudden I was <laughs> F-bombing yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I'd like a fucking cup of coffee. Yeah. That's a great fucking cinnamon roll. <laughs> yeah. and, and describe your emotions as as you started doing this. Any snapshots you remember in particular? And and what the yes. feeling was, not only intellectually, but in your body. The great question. Well, I would say that the whole process was a real series of two steps forward, you know, one step forward, two steps back, in the sense that I would have this elation of like, I'm going to wear this. I'm going to talk like this. I'm going to, I remember I used to steal shit from the, you know, Walgreens that was, you know, just for... And then it would have a whip, it, it, it would, there would be a whiplash effect where my anxiety would skyrocket and the looping thoughts about hell would be really, really overpowering um, and uncomfortable. Uh, at that time, I was on regular medication, so that was helpful. But it was definitely like, a, roof, roof, roof. The snapshot that I have of... Uh, and talking about something physical, I remember re- reading this passage in the midst of my, like, right in my, like, fiercest of the Sin Bravely campaign, was I read the book, um, uh, 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 and why am I blanking on it now? The It was the Kazantzakis book, Jesus. Um, they made it, it was a movie starring Willem Dafoe, Oh, gosh, and now I'm blanking. The on Last it. Temptation of Christ. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oof. So I was reading The Last Temptation of Christ. I was on a few drugs. I was alone in my apartment, I was dating a fellow I, the church would not have condoned. And I read this part of Last Temptation of Christ, and it was a continuation of a parable in the Bible. Let me tell you the parable in case you don't, in case people don't know it. Uh, basically, it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, different than Lazarus, who was, uh, rose from the dead. Uh, Lazarus, uh, basically, there's a rich man and there's a servant, and the servant Lazarus is so poor and hungry, and he begs at the door and says, please, I just want a crust of your bread, rich man. And the rich man says, no, I don't care about you. And then they both die. Rich man goes to hell. Lazarus, servant, is in heaven. And there's a scene where the rich man says to Lazarus, I have made such a mistake. Please, please, I'm so sorry. I'm burning up. I'm burning up. Can you please just fetch some water to touch the tip of my tongue? And basically, in the Bible, Lazarus, with God's, you know, support, says, nope, too late. Should have been nice to me back then. Fuck (laughs) y'all. Like, that's what happens. And it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Because, yeah, the rich man was a dick, but it's like, I knew I wasn't, you know, it was horrible so in last temptation of Christ, christ i'm drugged up i'm reading this and it's so kind jesus is talking to his favorite disciple john and jesus tells this story and john goes but that can't be the end of the parable that 
that can't be the end. He, he couldn't have let the man suffer like this. And it just made me weep. Uh, Jesus um, leaned forward and said, Ah, oh, yes, that is why you were my disciple. Of course, of course, God's love and, ex- and forgiveness extends to all, even the rich man. Of course. And it just like the, I just cried and cried and cried. Like this idea that, it's not even that Jesus didn't say it. It's like, well, that wasn't the end. Yeah, maybe, you know, and even Mm -hmm. in this, like, and it's a metaphor, but it just, uh, something loosed in my body uh, that night. And and it sounds like there there was an, an element in your, of you searching for gentleness in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It was so kind. And, you know, part of my process of, you know, extricating myself from the religious uh, dogma was thinking of God as a woman (laughs) just for a period of time, few years. You know, it was like I needed to have an image that was more gentle. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I, I wasn't like, oh, I think God is really a female. I'm like, I'm just going to use this imagery because it, it's it's hard for me to imagine a female doing the kind of cruelty implicit. Right. In a, so it was a psychological step that was. Yeah, I, I was yeah. raised Catholic and it, it, it took a conscious effort for me to move from the idea of a God or higher power of the universe being judgmental to one that got me. Yeah, yeah. And. Warts and all, yeah, and th- and that was a big step in yeah. in in terms of being able to accept myself and not feel like I was always on thin ice, about yes. to be punished for my internal badness. Absolutely, it's such a precarious, you know, way to be. And you know, I, w- I was learning about um, complicated attachment. Theory as it relates to uh, a a God, a spiritual parent, Mm -hmm. and how people that grow up with a God that you're supposed to say is nice and loving and really behaves awfully creates a similar pattern in children with a parent that seems great and actually beats you. You know, it's -hmm. it's the same kind of, wait, what? God loves me? But wait, he does all these things? And if I mess up, you know, all this, it's it's just so much cognitive dissonance yeah. to try to resolve, especially as a kid. Yeah. So what are some some other uh well well let's let's talk about and I suppose this is kind of related uh as you talk about in the book your obsession with yourself, your value, your morality. Totally. And this secret life that that you have internally, where you, as you say in the book, you present nicely, yeah. But deep down, you believe that you are not necessarily bad, but not as nice as everybody perceives you to be. Is that? Am I putting words in your mouth? Nope, not at all. I feel like I come across as a very nice person. <laughs> My parents are Southern and they are a delight. <laughs> they've kind of raised me with certain mannerisms, but I often feel the real gap 
between what I'm presenting and what I'm really thinking. And because often I am really plagued by envy. And I feel like that's the that's of the seven deadly sins. That's the one that's the most shameful. That's mm-hmm. the one that nobody wants to talk about. And, and that's one of the things that I really connected to in your book because you're so nakedly honest about it. And uh, it it's really refreshing to have somebody be, you know, petty is not the right word, but um, to embrace that mm-hmm. or at least shine a light on that yeah. part of us because it's so easy to not be grateful and to go, boy, that person's got it made. And I think the first part of envy, it like if you can acknowledge it like right there before it like propagates into mm-hmm. something more like the true envy when you just go when you just are like honest about it and you just go man i want what she has and i'm mad that she got it and not me mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you can just say that before it turns into where you start deceiving yourself where it's like oh she suck you know she's a sellout she's a you know mm-hmm. like when you start moving into like criticizing yourself or i'm not jealous i just i just don't like the way i'm happy she... for her and I... her imminent death <laughs> yes. fingers crossed <laughs> and if like if people could just at least with me i think it's helpful and i do it with my friends of just fessing up and just going oh i'm just so envious and stopping myself before i go before i either get self-righteous mm-hmm. about like well i just think you know, I don't like the conversation that she has with the world, you know, or, uh, you know, or moving into, you know, actively wishing somebody bad, mm-hmm. which is a temptation. The fantasy to go into, oh, wouldn't it be great mm-hmm. if I showed her, you know. Or the, feeling a little bit of smug happiness if they have a setback or something yes. bad happens to them being like, well, now they've come down to my level. Totally. Here in the pit of misery. Totally. And the initial flash of the feeling, I feel like you can't really stop, just like thoughts. But it's like, do you nurture that? Do you, I mean, I can totally go on Google with somebody that I feel competitive with. It's terrible. It's, a, it's just, it's like poison to your Especially mind. Especially in show business. Oh, In the yeah. creative arts. It's because it's not a meritocracy. No. And that's what I think envy thrives on is the feeling of not fair. Right. Of injustice. Because you're not quite as envious of somebody that has worked hard and has a lot of skill. And those two things came together mm-hmm. to give them a good life. It's that not I work so hard. And I... Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's play uh, an envy game. Let's go back and forth oh, and and talk about uh, just whatever pops into our mind, people or situations that we're, we're envious of. <laughs> Great. Um, I'll crush you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am envious of people that have nice pools in their, in their backyard. You have a pool in your backyard, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I am envious... Of people who enjoy swimming and are not counting the calories that they're burning while they're doing it. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> uh, I'm envious of people 
whose belly button is completely flat, you know, oh. where their belly doesn't extend oh. out fr- from the, where oh. there's no hole. It's just completely flat. Yeah, I always yeah, look at yeah, that and, and yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, God, yeah. if I had that, it, it, yeah. clothes would feel so oh, much better. When I, when I tie my skates for hockey, it wouldn't be hard to breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. In fact, if I had to pick a physical one, that one might be it. So it's mm-hmm. hard for me to think of another one of that. I am envious of, oh, the women with the effortlessly chiseled arms. Just the small little line that goes, eh, little tricep here, little bicep here. Mm-hmm. But especially the ones that don't work for it. It's right. that's the don't unfair. even seem to be aware of it. Yeah. Like, oh, what? oh, these arms. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess my mom always had fit arms. I don't know. Genetics, whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm envious of people that can eat as many sweets as they want to without gaining weight. I know that's a really common one. No, but no. That's um, a good one. Yeah. No, I, that, I feel that. Yeah, I feel that. I am envious of. Okay, this is a good one. <laughs> I am envious of people who can watch the Great American Bake Off by themselves and enjoy it. I cannot watch television by myself really? without feeling desperately lonely, and so I have to have somebody to watch television with me. Either my husband lives with me, so that's convenient right. right now, or I have to invite a friend over, and definitely with reality television. So and I it, think it, those people are lucky. Is it because you want to talk about it with them, or you just want another body there to not feel like you're, uh, as you talk about in the book, being a dilettante? I think it's that it just seems so lonely. It just seems like, well, there's nobody to talk to. Why would I watch a sitcom by myself right. <laughs> but it was like growing up i i never watched yeah. television by myself and yeah. had to have my parents there mm-hmm. so it's just an experience i've never had mm-hmm. so those people are all you people that can watch television mm-hmm. on your own in a hotel room well must be nice <laughs> i'm envious of people who have no struggle with productivity who uh... who seem to be fulfilling all of their potential oh yeah that's a good one that's a good one yes people that are yes yes that's a good one okay on a slightly different note i envy anyone in one of these like soul cycle spin cycle uh you know boot camp anything physical who responds to somebody going go 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 you can do it you can do it Somebody that is actually encouraged and not angered by (laughs) a coach trying to get them to reach their potential. Uh, I envy men who, uh, as they age, their face doesn't sag. They look look like – I I saw Rob Lowe on TV Uh, the other night, and I turned to one of my friends, and I was like, look at that fucker. He looks the exact same as he did in 1985. (laughs) Yes, yes, and he does, and he does. Okay, I envy people who, I'm probably close to the same age as Mm -hmm. Rob Lowe, I would guess. I envy people our age who have had gigantic careers and are now moving on to the next phase. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I envy 
comedians whose originality seems effortless, mm. who who just crank out one special after another and there's nothing derivative in it. Yes. It's they're talking yes. about stuff that has meaning and they're finding that jokes. I, I'm sure you know this. All comedians have this experience where they go, Oh my God, that's the joke. Yeah. About, yeah. 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 About that subject matter. Yeah, they yeah, pulled yeah, it yeah. out. It's like they delivered yeah. a baby whole with no struggle. Yes. Yes, totally. Okay. Well, I envy, I don't have children. It was by choice, but in retrospect, you know. So I not only envy mothers, but I envy mothers specifically. This is what I specifically envy. When I see a mother with like four to six children with one of those gigantic bags that have like books and bottles and bangles and bingles, and she's just effortlessly managing like a mother hen her four little ducklings behind her and nothing not without breaking a sweat <laughs> yeah that's a good one this seems like such a stupid one but i i envy people that have private jets and can just go anywhere on a moment's uh, notice i always think about can you imagine what it'd be like to go yeah. let's go have lunch in uh you know paris yes yes Okay, now on that, I envy people that could have an invitation like let's go to lunch in Paris and would find it a spontaneous delight instead of, I didn't plan for this. Right, right. <laughs> I envy people who seemingly don't have a dark side, who oh. seemingly have never heard or disappointed anybody oh. and, and aren't even aware of how good they are. Mm, yes. 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 The light folk. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I often, I, I will meet people that are, that I just feel are light and it doesn't make them, it doesn't make them bad. But yeah. They don't oh. seem to struggle with, I'm a piece of shit yes. or I've blown it. I'm too lazy. I'm, I'm, I made the wrong choices. I'm dumb. You know, whatever yes. the conversation of the day is. Yes. Yes. That's good. I envy, I envy people who have a very particular, peculiar hobby that will seem to interest them for the rest of oh their lives. Oh my God! Yes, I see <sighs> woodworkers. Oh, who, woodworkers! Who? Because I go through phases where I crank out stuff and then I won't go in the shop for three years. Oh, but you are a woodworker, so I you're am, one of yeah, those. This, uh, oh, I made this table. Oh, this was well, a tree in my front yard. Well, and, here uh, I yeah, here I am, envious of you. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. Look at this. But I haven't been in there. In in so long, and I have all this wood this nice. that I could be woodworking with, but the passion isn't there. Uh, and I'll, you know, come across a website where you know I'd looked at this person's work five years ago, and now there's this huge collection of stuff they've done in the meantime, uh, and I've done nothing. Uh, I've yes, done nothing. Yes, yes, yes. The yeah, the well, you you have woodworking at least. It, it could fire up, but. The ones that are like people that love model train sets, mm -hmm. that they could just go down to the basement mm -hmm. and just watch that train go around right. the train. And nobody can take that away from them. <laughs> right. Nobody can say you can't, you know, 
As long as they got a room and they got their trains. You get the, you get the feeling that they've never sat in the front of the TV where there's literally a thousand things you can choose from to watch and none of them feel interesting. Yes, exactly. Exactly. In fact, you know, I'm envious of my husband's ability sometimes to find to just be inter- entertained. He's mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes him sound slow that he's easily right. entertained, but he is. <laughs> but he told me once that he had never turned on the television, looked through the guide, and not found something of great interest oh, to him. him. <laughs> and I want you to pass that along to him. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, interests. I'm envious of guitarists who were born with long fingers, mm. and when they play the guitar, it just looks like their body was built to play it. Yeah. You know, their fingers just fly. They can do these chords where they stretch over seven frets, and and you just know that no matter how hard you practice, you would never be able to yes. come close to that. I envy, on those same lines, anything that is a skill that within... 20 seconds you could demonstrate it and everyone in your group would go in your peer group would go yeah that's excellent like a guitar a guitar solo can do 20 seconds and you know every guitar great if it's great would go that's great right you know with acting you're not gonna act for you know you could write it's it's just mushy it's mushy it's not easily measurable yeah yeah i envy people who who will never have to worry about money or retirement yes i worry about i worry about a i worry about a retirement that is not full <laughs> That is a diminishment. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I won't have one. <laughs> I envy directors who are so clearly operating on an artistic level that you feel like no matter what room they're in, everybody is in awe of them. <laughs> yes. You know, somebody somebody like, even though I would not want to have had his brain because he seemed so compulsively controlling, but somebody like Stanley Kubrick, yeah, yeah. who, you know, there's nobody yeah. who would say, eh, he's not that great. Yes. Just a total visionary. Yes. I, like, I envy any visionary in any anyone who is not concerned with what other people think and mm-hmm. it's just like this is the way i see it right. like in a restaurant you know anywhere that kind of uh faith in one's own perspective or standing in your mm-hmm. own authority okay. i envy uh greta thunberg oh yes and just how so early in her life she has found meaning and purpose and is uh just somebody you point to, and, and and if you had kids, you would go, now that is a good human being. Yes, yes. Yes, she found her metier very yeah. young, and yes, yes. Although it, it just made me think, it's a little off our envy thing, but it just made me think of 
old friend that passed, Taylor Negron, who mm-hmm. was an actor and writer and wonderful human being. And his favorite poem was this poem called Ithaca. Ithaca with a K uh, uh, is in the land that Odysseus was uh, seeking. And he would always say to me, he would say to everyone, it wasn't just me, uh, may your, ro-, this is from the poem, may your road to Ithaca be long. <laughs> and the idea was, may it take a long time to find your, th-. and the idea that was that the seeking period mm-hmm. gets a lot of bad press. But I, I love that way of, of putting it because, you know, you hear over and over, you know, it's, it's, it's the journey. It's not the the right. end place because but none of us buy it. None of us buy it. <laughs> we say it. I uh, say it. I remember secretly reading a quote by uh, Prince where he said, "I've been to the top of the mountain and there's nothing there." Ah, fantastic, fantastic. It's a very, it's a very. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a Buddhist idea. I come to that idea through Buddhism. I'm a member of this Zen center, but that's one of the ideas is, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's, it's like this idea of the white castle that you're, you're always looking out mm-hmm. at this thing. And then as soon as you get to the castle, it's, you're like, oh, there's bed bugs. <laughs> yes. Or, or in this, that it disappears in front of you. Like it was, it was all a mirage. It was all an illusion. Yeah. These, yeah. So keep chasing, keep chasing those phantoms. <laughs> there's, there's this, saying and i'm sure i'm butchering it but um i i would rather have when i what i want than to um want what i don't have oh, i don't want to know why i even broke it brought it up but it's yeah. oh i would rather want what i have than to uh worry about getting what, what I, I want wa- what i want yep because it's so easy to oh get caught in that place where you're like, if I just get that, I'll I'll feel comfortable totally. in my skin. Uh, and I have experienced moments where I look around and I'm like, I have a fucking amazing life and I can feel it. Yeah. That's yeah, one of the yeah, things yeah. that brought me into support groups was I yeah. felt like I was on the other side of a plexiglass window. My life was on the other ah. side of it. And I could intellectually understand that it was good, but I couldn't feel it. Yeah, I felt yeah, numb yeah, yeah. and empty. Yeah. And do you have moments where, when you're able to feel your life and to feel gratitude? Yes. I, I would say I am. I was just thinking, as you were talking, just the old kid song, uh, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Right. It's that and you know it part <laughs> right. that's, uh, that's more difficult than you would think. Yes, I definitely, I definitely have moments of gratitude. And here's the thing that's helpful with me with the gratitude thing is not expecting there to be giant swaths of ongoing fulfillment without trouble but just just expecting that moments are enough Mm -hmm. i remember hearing you know that you don't have to look for lightning strikes uh, lightning to strike you can you can notice a lightning bug on the way i like that um and and there is something about have I gotten to the point that I wake up and I'm like, wow, this is living. You know, it's like my little sister who who was born with a wonderful disposition. Um, she used to wake up in the morning and go, it's day, it's day. <laughs> and she would run down the stairs. And I feel like even as an adult woman, she's 
she's a little bit close to that. Um, wow. And I don't have that. But, but I will say as I've gotten older, I feel like um, the, I, I've gotten better at the art of mm. gratitude. Yeah. And I do think it's an art. Yeah. I envy people who are easily surprised by comedy and and laugh easily get to experience <laughs> totally. that it's, it's like totally. I, I can sit through a comedy i enjoy or even a comedian i enjoy for an hour hour and a half and appreciate its brilliance but not laugh out loud yes, once me too me too yes when you see like even when you see studio audiences just going oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> yes totally that's another one my husband has Damn, yeah. I guess I'm really envious of it. But <laughs> but yes, the ability, an easy laugh. Yeah. Oh, that would be nice. I'm, I'm, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Oh, let's see. An easy laugh. Uh, I envy people that have one of those laughs, like Alan Alda. I think of him as mm-hmm. being one of the prototypical people, but like have one of those laughs that just give everyone <laughs> seemingly a sense of euphoria mm-hmm. <laughs> upon hearing it i'm yeah. envious of families that are not only emotionally close but physically close like when you oh, see yeah. uh you know they're piled onto a couch and they're yes. laying their heads on each other's shoulders oh, and i just think yeah. oh my god that oh, yeah, seems that like heaven me. yeah yeah that kills me yes i i very much notice that I notice it specifically with mothers and daughters. Yeah. That kind of ease of physical familiarity that you don't even think about. Yeah. You're just used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got so envious once when I was at, I, I went to one of these like Korean day spas and which I've always thought of like as a refuge of like kind of lady with no kids, you know, it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a, family thing it's not like going to great america where i'll feel silly without children this was but there was this one woman who came in and she was breastfeeding she had an infant and she was just in the hot water and i've never seen a woman seem like she was more blissed out she was just enjoying the water she had a baby Baby wanted to breastfeed sometimes. Sometimes it didn't. <laughs> it was just all groovy, and she was doing that wow. woman thing. Not self-conscious at all. No, just like, no. She was yes. Mother Earth. This is a yeah. new gen... It's like, oh, no, this is ruined for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm... Uh, uh, this is such a cliche one, but I'm envious of men that are well endowed. Uh, oh, I, well, I'm wildly envious of women with big breasts. Yeah. Always happen. Yeah. <laughs> I am envious of people that can go do sporting adventures that are. Not necessarily dangerous, but kind of risky and expensive, like people that can rent a helicopter and go find fresh powder oh. in the mountains of, of Alberta. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to go big and broad here. 
I envy anyone who is an adventurer or who has ever been good at playing any sport ever. <laughs> sports were not your oh, thing. Horrible. No. Horrible. Got really tall really quick and Ugh. didn't know how those limbs could go together. It was it was a lot of falling down. <laughs> let's do let's do one more right. each. Um I'm envious of dogs and how simple their lives are and that they don't have to pay rent. Yeah. Yeah. They're living. Yeah. My dogs are really, really. I, okay. Well, I envy dogs for that exact mm. reason, but also dogs like my dogs, that when there are two of them and they seem made for each other mm. and it was just happenstance that they were rescued around the same time, but... They've got a soulmate, and they didn't do anything to work for it. <laughs> That's a great one. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we, we wrap up? No, it was really fun to talk. Yeah, I'm really glad we got to dive into Envy, and thanks for sharing all that stuff about the the Puro and the scru- scrupulosity. Um, it's so fascinating. And uh, Maggie's book is called uh, uh, Easy, Easy, Easy Street, Street and it's uh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, and people, I imagine, can get it anywhere they want. Anywhere. Social media, they can follow you at? Oh, I have a website, MaggieRoeAuthor.com. And Roe is R-O-W-E. Yes. Thanks so much, Maggie. Thanks. I uh, truly enjoyed that. Truly enjoyed that. And she is a great writer. Check her stuff out. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey filled out by, uh, and, and I'm just going to read a portion of uh, some of these surveys because I, I can never get to as many surveys as, as I want to read. And so sometimes I think to myself, why don't I just read portions of these? Because I don't always need to read the entire thing. Uh, and then I call myself stupid and then I jump in front of a car. Uh, This was filled up by a woman who calls herself uh, need to be cared for. She was uh, raised in a um, very manipulative uh, environment. Um, She was the victim of sexual abuse. Um, She's experienced physical and emotional abuse. But I wanted to read her darkest secret. She writes... I have a need for sympathy and to be cared for. I have a need to play the medical patient, poor disabled girl role. I know this means I have Munchausen's among other things. I will freely admit to anyone all of my mental health struggles, but not that one. Um, and uh, Munch, uh, 
oh, I never knew that there was regular Munchausen's. I always had heard Munchausen's by proxy, and I was like, what's that? That's where the parent keeps making the child sick so that they can be the you know, caretaker, rescuer, get the attention, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, now I understand why <laughs> they always added the, by proxy. Uh, I will freely admit to anyone, okay, about that, not even my doctor, psychiatrist, or therapist, no. I can never admit it to anyone, anywhere but here. This is the first time I've ever been able to speak these words. I love being hospitalized. I hate the feeling of actually being sick, but being a hospitalized patient makes even that worth it. The best I can seem to get is occasional short-term psych hospitalization. To be sick enough to need intense invasive medical care is my dream. I'm afraid I've developed a hospital addiction in response to my many hospitalizations over the years. But even as a little girl, before any of the psych hospitalizations, I would dream about and pray to get sick with something like cancer. Back then, it would have served as a means of escaping the abuse. Now, I think it would fulfill my need to be cared for and to feel unconditionally loved. Even though love, though the love and concern it would get me would ultimately be based on the condition of my illness, thus not truly being unconditional. I don't just get concerned when I find out a family, a friend or a family member has been hospitalized for a potentially serious or life-threatening medical condition. I get jealous too and wish it was me instead. Thank you for sharing that, and I'm really glad that you feel uh, that this is a place where you can share that without without judgment. And um, <clears throat> I, I certainly feel no judgment towards you. If anything, I, f- I, I feel a kinship uh, because I had tons of surgeries as a, as a kid, and while there was part of it that I hated, the physical pain, the humiliating nature uh of them because some of them were on my my testicles or uh and some were on my groin um that part of it was fucking awful but i loved being in bed not having to do anything and having people come care for me that i can totally relate to um i i the degree to which you're experiencing this is is something that I don't share, but I can see how somebody could have that because we all have our thing, you know. Mine's drugs and alcohol and video games and sex and and um, you know, we. I think a lot of us, especially those of, of us who hate making mistakes and are people pleasers, and strive to be perfect maybe just in our head responsibility is like a fucking mountain and it is just so overwhelming and I think a lot of us also want to have our pain witnessed we want to be seen we want to be the person that is the focus of love and and nurturing and um yeah, I still remember that feeling of fucking 11 years old and that nurse from Philadelphia singing me songs and putting my name into it and thinking, why doesn't my mom show me that much love and tenderness? 
Yeah. I always joke, you know, I've had, I don't know, eight surgeries in the last 20 years. And um, mostly for hockey-related stuff. Um, but every time I get wheeled uh, on that gurney under the warm blankets, you know, and the nice nurse who's just checking to make sure you're okay puts Valium in my arm. Oh, fuck. I want to live there. I want to rent a house in that place. So I, I get it. I get it. And thank you for sharing that. You know, I really love when we get surveys that cover um, stuff that we don't talk about a lot on this podcast. And I hope that wasn't annoying that I made it all about me. It's all about me, though, isn't it? Really? You get right down to it. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Yikes. And um, she's never been sexually abused. Uh, she's not sure if she's been physically abused. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. Uh, she's 19, identifies as straight, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She writes... I don't know what emotions I'm feeling. I think it's the result of my parents not engaging with me emotionally. I feel so stupid when my therapy, therapist asks me how I feel. Oh my God, I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. It creates such dread. It's like, I don't want to make a mistake in saying I'm feeling the wrong thing. But 80% of the time, it's I'm feeling nothing. I think for those of us that engage in addictive behaviors, a lot of the time, yeah, maybe we're feeling anger or sadness, but a lot of the time we're feeling nothing. Uh, I truly don't know. The best answer I can often give is good, okay, or bad. I'm afraid to be myself around my parents. That's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to read this survey. That feeling of being around somebody that you can't be yourself around is so exhausting. I have to pick my words carefully with my father. I once broke down about my anxiety to my father and he told me things like, put on your big girl pants. You're overreacting and you don't know what you're talking about. You're too young to know anything. I feel like this isn't big enough, quote, abuse. Uh, I guess, uh, oh, and that's the end uh, of that, uh, that answer. I mentioned this on last week's episode read the book Running on Empty by Dr. Janice Webb. It is about this. And this is neglect is a form of abuse. And it doesn't matter what envelope the pain arrives in. It's still pain. It's still neglect. Uh, any positive experiences with the abusers? I guess we've had some fun times, but I realized that I learned so young to conform to his expectations that it kind of ruins all the good memories darkest thoughts that I want to get so bad that I'm admitted to inpatient so I don't have to be a part of my life for a while. Similarly, that I could just take a break from life. I have hypochondria. In short, I think I'm dying all the time. And sometimes I think about how when I die, I'll finally stop worrying and, and I'll finally be okay. Because once you're dead, you don't have to worry about dying. Darkest secrets. Isn't it amazing the the themes that come up you know i don't intentionally put these surveys together they're very often time um the order that i i've read them in um and it's just amazing how these themes will 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 come up and i always feel like that's the universe kind of saying to me and saying to you guys hey you're not alone 
you're not alone. We're, we're all feeling some version of this, this pain and this confusion and doubt and, uh, any positive? Oh yeah. I read that one already. Um, darkest secrets. Uh, I was a bully to someone with bipolar disorder. I was part of a group that were actively against her and I was too afraid of them to stand up and say us bullying her wasn't okay. I've sent a few sincere apologies and keep wishing her well. Now I'm trying to keep my distance because I know I might remind her of painful times. I just hope now I'm doing the right thing to make the best of what bad things have been done. I just want her to be okay. And you know, whether or not she's going to be okay is up is up to her, but you've taken care of your side of it. And that's awesome, you know. That That's all we can ask for because, uh, you know, we fuck up. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I just want someone to be nice, LOL. Someone who understands my hypochondria-related fears. I'm afraid that will never happen. I'm so afraid of my own body and what pain and disease it can experience uh, without intimate contact with others. So sex seems like a giant red flag saying it's not worth it. Sex equals illness and complications. And I can't deal with anything else. Sharing this makes me feel stupid and pitiful. I feel like everyone who hears this is going to think that poor, naive little girl. How can I be afraid of something that most people actively pursue? What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Everything I hide from my therapist. The fear of intimacy. The hate I hold for my body. The wish for inpatient and higher level of care. The fact that I don't think I'm sick enough. You know, as I was reading your survey, I was I was just thinking, of course you don't feel safe in the world. You grew you grew up in a household where it wasn't safe to feel. So as an adult, unless we actively begin to do things to combat that wiring, to undo that wiring in our brain, we're gonna seek out things, whether it's a fantasy in our head about getting sick or being taken care of or avoiding intimacy. That's how we're going to cope with it. And then we blame ourselves and we're like, why am I so fucking weird? But you're, you're not alone. You're so not alone. I'm sending you a hug. This is an email that I got from uh, Karina, and she writes, Hello, all guys. I know my message may be too specific, but my sister found nice man and they married, so how about me? Question mark, exclamation point. I am 25 years old, Karina. I know English and German languages also, and I have specific disease named nymphomania. Who knows what is this can understand me better? Better to say it immediately. Well, I, Karina, I am so sorry that you've been diagnosed with nymphomania. Uh, I can't imagine what that doctor visit was like. And um, I hope your parents were there for you when the doctor told you that you're a nymphomaniac. Because we need support. We need support when uh, when somebody tells that they're... they're look... You know, like when you tell somebody they're dying of cancer, you are, you know, you have six weeks to live. When it's an infomaniac, you say, listen, there's never going to be enough cock. You can search high and wide, but you will never find enough cock. Or if pussy's your thing, never going to find enough pussy. 
And then the doctor high-fives you in a really creepy way, and everybody silently lets themselves out of the hospital. Oh, I made myself laugh. <laughs> I thought of the stupidest fucking joke when I was in the urgent care waiting for the doctor to... Uh, Look at my hand. And so here's the joke that I that I imagined performing on the podcast. And and then I was like, it is so dumb. Why would I fucking do that? And then I was like, yeah, but since when am I trying to impress these guys? I've been a jackass for 10 straight fucking years with lame jokes wall to wall. So uh, the, the joke is I, I went to see the doctor. I got a bee sting on my hand and my head hands swelled up. And, and so I said to the doctor said, why are you here? I said, well, as you can see, my hand is red and swollen. He said, that's not your hand, that's your penis. And I thought, that's why I've never wanted handball. <laughs> I am such an idiot. <laughs> oh, I'm not laughing at how funny that is. I'm laughing at how dumb I am. How I could be a grandfather, and that joke made me laugh. But the real shame is on you, because you spend time listening to me. You should be ashamed of yourself. I know in this podcast, I, should, I say, don't shame yourself. The one thing I'm going to tell you you should shame yourself for is listening to me. And that is unforgivable. I would rather you kick your dog then admit to another human being that you listen to this podcast. Hey, it might be a little hard on myself. I think it might be. All right, my voice is starting to go. So I'm going to fast forward to the uh, to the end of the surveys. But you know what? I'm really enjoying this doing the, uh, the podcast at night. It feels different. I should mention I'm incredibly drunk. Now it's been 18 years since I had a drink. All right, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself a straw stuffed doll covered in cat hair that's so weird that's my fetish she writes i never realized i grew up feeling like everyone's love for me was conditional if my fa if my own family couldn't love the real me how could anyone else but lately my best friend who lives on the other side of the planet has made me feel like it's possible she remembers things about me and i remember things about her we stay up late and get up early to talk to each other because of time zones. I love her. I have very little experience with romantic relationships, but I trust her. I trust that if we decide that one of us moving away from our family and life to be with another would be too much, we could accept that. Even if we don't end up together romantically, I think she'd be an amazing and wonderful friend for the rest of my life. That is so awesome. And... Such a great reminder, too, that, that when you get that as the foundation of a relationship, whether it goes to the romantic level or not, um, that I should say if you're in a romantic relationship, that is the goal, is that, that feeling seen and feeling supported and feeling the love is unconditional. I feel that from my girlfriend. I feel unconditional love from her, and it feels fucking great. And I think she feels the same thing from me. But it has taken me a lot of work to get to the place where I have that love to give. And um, and it's been hard, but it's so worth it. And that's why I'm always, 
on my soapbox about support groups and, and therapy because I would be a drunk, angry, bitter, sad sack. And I'm so glad I did all those meetings and still do all those meetings because I get to do this. And she loves the game Civilization. How awesome is that? I feel like I could write a book about the game Civilization. Not the whole game, but just the, the certain ways that I play it. Because I got it down. I, I don't want to brag, but I'm crushing that fucking game. I'm untouchable. I think Denzel Washington should portray me as a hero in a movie about how I play civilization. I don't know what it'd be called. Go get him, Tiger. Fucking sad sack at the desk. Do you know what time it is? Oh, my voice. I gotta go. Although there's something a little... uh, When our voice starts to do something weird... There's also something kind of cool to it, like, oh, now I'm like a smoky character from a 40s film noir. No, you're not. You just sound tired. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just be glad you're not me. Just, I'm not going to tell you you're not alone. You, you know that already. Just be thankful you're not a fucking nut job like I am. And uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.